0: This is Lock and Key. And I'm Andy Bullman. Uh, should I
1: start? Um, yeah. What are you going to start with?
0: (laughs) I was going to ask Olivia to introduce herself and the name of her documentary and tell us, like kind of log line, one sentence, what it's about. Okay. I don't have a title.
2: My name's Olivia Ball. I am a producer and a visual artist, and I live in Western Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, and I've been working on a documentary about rural housing issues in Newfoundland. I'm recording now on the deck of my home in Woody Point, and it's pretty great. I love living here and I love the home that I was able to buy with my partner. I've spent many years in and around the Gross Mountain region of Newfoundland and Labrador and there's nowhere else I want to live. But finding housing here is hard. If I wasn't so committed to this community, I likely wouldn't live in this province. I have quite a lot of personal experience of living with housing insecurity in Newfoundland and Labrador. I've moved a lot. I've lived in shared housing, including with a family with children. I've lived with a friend who was also my employer at the time. I've lived in a hostel in the building where I worked. I've moved seasonally, and I've been days away from turning down reliable long-term employment. All because I couldn't find anywhere to live. It's really difficult and it's really common. Rural housing insecurity is also incredibly difficult to track. The usual methods for finding numbers of people facing housing insecurity and homelessness is by looking at shelter beds and service usage. But if you're living in a rural area without shelters and with very few services, it's almost impossible to know how many people are living in insecurity. People are couch surfing, living in vehicles, living in tents, Are having to move around regularly to try to find housing. Some people are missing entirely from rural communities. I know that a lot of people are struggling rurally and I want to speak with some of them. I want to hear about their experiences, what they see as the causes of the problem and what people are trying to do to tackle the housing crisis. I'm gonna leave home now and head around the bay to Norris Point to speak with somebody who's been struggling with housing issues for a long time. We're actually going to meet at the old cottage hospital where I lived for about eight months. Because of the nature of this person's experiences, they've chosen to remain anonymous. Yeah. So
3: you can close that behind if that's okay. I'm a young person from Rocky Harbor with my family of two girls. Um, we're basically struggling to find somewhere long-term to rent in the area. We've been looking now as a family for two years but we've been looking like living with my mom growing up for the past 15 years roughly Trying to find a long-term place affordable they registered with newfoundland
2: and labrador housing and made efforts to find a rental through the private market they put up posters posted on social media and asked around the community but still struggled we spoke about the causes that they see in the shortage
3: Well, mostly the thing is here is it's nightly rentals. So we'll find something that we can stay in for the winter months and then come summer, we have to get out. And then it's constantly a battle of that. Or we'll find something which is $1,500 a month to rent for a little two-bedroom apartment, which is not really affordable here when you're only working in the summer season, really. They ended up spending periods of time
2: living in short-term rentals and even that didn't go smoothly. The constant moving was upsetting to their children even once they decided to go for an off-season rental, convincing short-term
3: rental operators to offer their accommodations to a family was hard. They don't want to, they're used to their house being up all winter. They don't even want to rent it in the wintertime. They don't want to take that on because it's a nightly rental. They don't want nothing to get ruined. And I mean, they are taking it on a lot, but taking it in a family. We got turned down on several nightly rentals that were available in the winter months because I had children, because they had breakable things in there and they didn't want like fingerprints on the wall or any anything like that it was we've got turned down because of kids many
2: times it is discriminatory and illegal to refuse rental to a prospective tenant due to them having children i asked my interviewee if they had reached out to the newfoundland labrador human rights commission for support regarding their rights and they said that they didn't know who to go to for that support and so they dealt with it alone they shared more experiences of how lack of housing has affected their life
3: Yes, yeah, school even, for my daughter, changing bus stops. I went to the school six times to change the address on where we were living, and it was the most embarrassing, uncomfortable thing. And being a young mom and them looking at you like, oh, you are young. obviously don't have it together. Like, the looks you get and the hate you get towards not having a permanent place to live. We also spoke about the stigma faced by people experiencing housing insecurity. If you're, say, like my daughter, all of her friends have permanent, long-term. They all own houses, and we're the only one really renting in her class, so there's definitely some judgment towards that. I actually got turned down a couple places because of my history when I was younger with my mom, like what went on with my mom that I had no control of when I was probably like 8 years old, and they turned me down because of how my mom left a unit. My mom has Huntington's disease, so she had no control over how the unit was left, but they turned me down because of that.
2: After two years of looking, my interviewee has now secured long-term housing for their family. We spoke about what they think should be done to improve the situation.
3: I think even like, like one building, like an apartment building, it would open up a lot of homes for a lot of people. Even with something small, we would would have been completely content in a little tiny apartment had it been long-term. You know, we could maybe make more affordable housing too. Would be real great.
1: <laughs> like Olivia, do you have a sense of what changed? Like this person found a house after looking for two years was there some some key to making that finally happen
2: i don't know uh i believe that it's probably just that a house that had previously had a tenant became available and this is something that happens as well you know there's so many people who want to rent who you know are looking in the same place there just isn't the stock of housing available and there's sort of also a knock-on effect where there are people who could buy and would like to buy but are priced out and out-competed in the purchasing a home so they're also in the rental market and they're kind of to put it bluntly and I was in the position myself where you're kind of clogging up rentals you could buy but there's nothing to buy and you end up renting so people who aren't in a position to buy are competing against you.
4: My name is christina Yu, and i'm a full-time employee with parks canada here in Morne national park newfoundland
2: christina moved here from ontario and she seems to really love being here she's got a great job she has a social circle that love her and she's able to lean in on a great interest in animal tracking we chatted a lot about her experiences and those of people around her she was able to share experiences of colleagues people who also have reliable employment with the federal government have taken measures including buying a home over 120 kilometers from work and people living in challenging conditions within the park.
1: Did you
4: say she's an animal tracker?
2: Yeah, she's incredibly cool.
4: (gasps) Last year, one of my colleagues, a friend, basically wound up being in a tent in one of the campgrounds. And they lived in that tent and commuted to their place of work for I think over a month. And that happened, and they were really unhappy, and this is in all sorts of Newfoundland weather, which changes all the time, like all their personal belongings in their tent with them. And that's how they did their first part of their summer until they found a new arrangement.
2: I asked Christina about finding housing when she first arrived in Newfoundland and Labrador. She was able to live in staff housing with a roommate, but Parks Canada policy meant that she was only able
4: to live there for one year. So that would have been August. I started to put the word out that I was looking for an apartment. And I think it was in March or April that I finally found a place.
2: Christina tried all of the methods that are usual in the Marne region. She spoke with colleagues, community members. She put up posters, advertised on Facebook... Eventually, a member of her
4: faith community suggested a place. They said, oh, I've got I've got this loft that maybe you can rent, and it's month to month, come check it out. And I walked in, and I said to this person, here's first month's rent, just to show you I'm serious. I, I can move in at this date, is that okay? And they said yes. So I felt like I won the lottery, and here I am. I asked Christina what she thought was the cause of the shortage. I personally think that the short-term and overnight rental market really um, cannibalized the available housing stock. You know, people used to have basement apartments or lofts or extra rooms for rent, and now they're being they're being used up by visitors. And Grossmourne is a very popular park. There's hundreds of thousands of people who come here every year, and... The income level on average in this part of Newfoundland, I think rural Newfoundland, I should say, um, is is lower than the national average. So, of course, people would want to take advantage of that extra stream of income. As I was getting ready to leave, Christina
2: shared some thoughts about the situation could be improved. She mentioned that some municipalities are working on bylaws that target short-term rental and that she'd like to see things put in place that affect larger groups rather than individuals who are trying to get by in a small community and a tough economy. Both of the people that I've spoken with have pointed fingers at short-term rentals as barriers to housing. I'm going to hop in the car now and drive for about six hours across the island to speak with some folks on the Bonavista Peninsula. The area has a lot in common with the Grosmoor region. Both places are heavily seasonal, both rely upon the fishery and tourism, and both are experiencing a housing crisis. After hearing the thoughts of my first two interviewees, I'm particularly interested to hear what's being done to tackle short-term rentals, so I'm going to have a chat with some folks who have taken the bull by the horns with some pretty intense consequences. It's a really hot day, and this is going to be a very long drive I'm not looking forward to, so I had better get going. Hi, good morning. I'm here to see Crystal and John.
0: Crystal and John? Crystal.
5: Crystal's
6: here. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. I'm John Norman. I'm the current mayor of the town of Bonavista, and as well, I sit on a number of uh, local charities, organizations, and I chair the regional chamber of commerce.
7: Um, My name is Crystal Fudge. I'm the economic, culture, and heritage officer with the town of Bonavista. I chatted with Crystal
2: and John in an echoey meeting room at the town office. They are both enthusiastic about their work and their community, although it's clear that they try to measure their tone and pick their words carefully when talking about housing issues and short-term rental regulation. The town council of Bonavista took a strong and sudden stance on short-term rentals in early 2023. This was clearly a shock to short-term rental operators and led to some pretty extreme situations.
6: The town hall was under attack, literally the windows and doors were all smashed out.
2: We dug into the situation that led to the tension in Bonavista. They say that over the past decade, the tourism, arts and culture sectors have grown in Bonavista and that growth has reduced available housing. New businesses, new residents and vacation homes have taken previously vacant properties. In recent years, the short-term rental market has exploded in Bonavista. They claim that people are being evicted so that their homes can be changed from long-term to short-term rentals. They say that seniors, young professionals and families are particularly affected and in multiple cases, entire apartment complexes were evicted. They say that they aren't able to share further details or connect with people who've experienced this for privacy reasons. I asked around town and I couldn't connect with
7: anyone who'd experienced a large-scale eviction. So we currently have, what is our, what was the last population in the census, Jen?
6: The one now is about 3,750 based on the new voter list plus school enrollments.
7: And within our residential zoning, we have 1,447 residential properties. And we decided um, to put a cap on that for 10%. So there's still some wiggle room for some people to have Um, accommodations, new accommodations. As a matter of fact, I had a request for one this morning. Uh, So once we reach a cap of 10%, which is 147, there will be no longer any more allowed in the community.
1: Just so I understand, so Bonavista says that there have been people evicted by seasonal rentals like Airbnbs. Is that why they decided to put this cap on? They put a cap of 10 percent of the units in the town
0: a little bit more than 10 i think because some were grandfathered in but yeah pretty much is that right yeah
2: so the cap that they put in place was 10 percent, and because there were already some in place it ended up being more than 10 percent um but that bylaw affects how they'll approve things in future so if some of those uh, um, short-term rentals come out of the rental market they maybe wouldn't be, they won't allow permits for new to fill that 10% cap. So it's, it's more of a thing going forwards than rectifying what's already there or altering what's already there. Crystal explains that some pre-existing accommodations were grandfathered in and the town has now issued 210 permits for short-term rentals. This figure includes short-term rentals operated by Mayor John Norman.
6: Besides the overarching 10% uh, cap in the town, we don't allow now any accommodations to be created on streets with fewer than 10 houses.
2: I was told that this rule is to avoid dead zones. They claim that some areas of town have small streets with just a few houses and that without this limitation, whole areas of town could be empty outside the busy tourist season.
6: Uh, yeah, so the most obvious effect is that the population growth that we've experiencing has plateaued. and he, over the last year to two years, we've actually been losing people. Uh, We don't have up-to-date population numbers for here today, but we know anecdotally new employees can't find housing, so they either don't come or they live in neighbouring communities. Uh, Seniors, uh, families with young children, when you talk to some of the administration at the schools, they are now driving their children into Bonavista, but living in surrounding communities because they've been evicted or can't find housing.
0: Olivia, do either of these two speakers have short-term rentals on the Airbnb market?
2: I don't know about Crystal, but John does, uh, and I mentioned that in the doc that through Bonavista Living, and he's very open about that. That's not something that he tries to conceal in any way.
1: I mean, does he have anything to <laughs> to say about that? I guess he just he'll abide by the rules like everyone else. Is that the thinking?
2: Yep, that's that's the way that he. He sees this and, you know, having owning an Airbnb or owning a short-term rental doesn't make somebody a bad person. It's, and a lot of these people have been running these for many years. It's just that the numbers are overwhelming at this point for some communities.
6: So I'm expecting this data to show up, uh, I'd say in the next year or so, but it's uh, creating a lot of problems, also the issue of local business and the economy itself.
2: John explained that all sectors, from restaurants and the fish plant right through to the healthcare system, are struggling to recruit due to lack of housing. To tackle some of these issues, council took drastic steps following the meeting in January of 2023.
6: We simply decided, somewhat unexpectedly, based on discussion at a council meeting, in one night. There was no real control, and the next morning people woke up and there was a complete moratorium, a freeze on all new accommodations. No permits would be granted until further notice.
2: The freeze went from January to March. When the freeze was lifted, Crystal went back to assessing applications in line with the new regulations.
7: So we had a, had a mixture of, of yeses and noes, and um, sometimes it went over well and sometimes it did not. <laughs>
6: So we're not talking about a city where one can be anonymous. Not at all. (laughs) It is not uncommon, especially for Stephanie, Crystal, Kirk, the lead management here at the town hall, myself, some of the councillors that are more public on these issues, uh, to be accosted in public places, to be grabbed... On your own property, uh, people pull up behind you and trap you when you're trying to get in or out of your driveway.
7: <laughs> and you're picking up your groceries. Yeah, trying to watch a movie at the theater. It's um, yeah,
0: it's, it's a small, very small community.
7: In so. that
6: in that way, it's very small. Yeah. and uh, we accept that.
0: That sounds hard, you know. And I can see it from both ends. I can see someone feeling frustrated. My potential income stream is now cut off suddenly. I can see it from how hard that must be. You just want to get groceries. You just want to take your dog for a walk. Yeah. And there's, I can,
2: similar to you, Andy, sympathize with both sides of this. You know, when people are not at work, they're not at work. And, you know, we need to understand that. I can also see why people are frustrated. If you maybe purchased a property or put a lot of money into renovations and things, and then suddenly there's regulations that weren't in place when you did that without any warning.
0: Yeah. Did this sort of lead to, I, I think any sort of future changes it must involve so much consultation with the public. I...
2: Yeah. And there's also people on both sides of this that the council has to serve, you know, they have constituents who are, this is their income, this is their business, and they also have constituents who
0: don't have anywhere to live. Yeah. They've been pressed out of their own communities.
6: And I accept that change is going to be painful when you're trying to change and move forward a rural place, a rural town that was usually a single sector town. You're diversifying, new people are coming in, new sectors are developing, That can alarm people because things didn't change for a long, long time. This town, like much of rural Newfoundland, especially after the Cod Moratorium, was dying. And there are towns similar to Bonavista, historically, that were very similar populations, similar economy, and they have a thousand and two thousand fewer citizens now than Bonavista. They didn't diversify. They didn't make adjustments. It was very difficult. Some of the decisions that were made in Bonavista historically, making that shift, which is all built up to now, um, play into the housing issue.
2: The provincial government put regulations in place that affect short-term rentals across Newfoundland and Labrador in 2023. There was definitely a response to those regulations, but the outcome in Bonavista still seems extreme by comparison. John explained why he thinks the bylaws had such a dramatic outcome here in Bonavista.
6: In rural areas, more often than in cities, because they're not used to it, they don't want to be told what to do. And when you say, no, no, you can't have that business in your house, they honestly don't understand why. Because for 200 years before that, I could do whatever I wanted with my house, so why can't I now?
7: It sounds bad and bleak, but it's a small group of people like that. They just happen to be a very
0: loud group of people.
1: it just seems like it's I'm kind of concerned for them
0: I am too a little
2: I think it it must be incredibly stressful
1: what a strange position they're in now to actually be managing a town that is growing again for the first time in probably 40 years or more I mean maybe even more than that (laughs) you know probably 100 years Uh, it's it's a very different mindset and I think I wonder if that's part of the reason why people seem to, um, you know, struggle to wrap their head around it a little bit.
2: Yeah. And outmigration is a huge problem in rural communities. It's, you know, I think it's important to remember that housing issues don't just affect the people who live in our communities. It stops people from being in our communities. It means that young people who go away for You know, for college, for university, for training programmes, they can't move home if there's nowhere to live. So it's not just people who are here, it's people who aren't here but could be. John explained that the increased municipal budget that Bonavista is achieving through community growth is allowing the town to look at other options for creating housing.
6: So now, like Crystal's had many, many meetings with Habitat Humanity, and we're handing over for a dollar a piece of land to them to develop affordable duplexes. And we're talking to other real estate developers about affordable housing. We're talking to the province about certain things that we could do. We're in a position to partner on these things now, when five or ten years ago, we, we couldn't.
2: Okay, I've just finished up chatting with the folks at the town of Bonavista, and I'm stood outside on Church Street. It's a really beautiful day, there's some kids playing on scooters, there's some small businesses here selling ice cream and handmade goods, and there's a surprising amount of traffic, but it's really lovely. I'm honestly quite shocked at having heard about the level of tension and the violent outcomes that have been around Town Hall, juxtaposed with what I see as I'm standing here today. Bonavista is beautiful, I can absolutely see why people would want to have their vacation here, and I can see why people want to capitalise off that tourism. But I can also very much see why people would want to live here. It was really interesting to hear what the town is doing to try and increase housing options outside of short term rentals. It seems that short term rental is the hot topic right now, but it's heartening to hear that it's not the only focus. I'm going to go now to speak with somebody who is struggling to find housing here in Bonavista. Good, how are you all? Good, thank you. Uh, I'm looking for April. April? Yeah. I'm a little bit earlier. I know she's just finishing up, so I'll very happily look at knitwear if not ready.
8: you hold on. Okay. Hello, my name is April Short. I am from New Adventure, a rural community in Newfoundland and Labrador.
2: I'm chatting with April in an empty meeting room after she finishes work. She and her partner work in two of the key industries in rural Newfoundland tourism, and the fishery. Their work, like many people's, is seasonal, but they live in Bonavista year-round. They'd like to buy a home, but the housing boom has priced them out of the market. Their difficulty finding rental accommodation in the interim is compounded by their three-year-old Husky, but their need is becoming more pressing.
8: So I am currently renting a house in Bonavista. I've been there for the last two years. However, it has recently went up for sale Um, Within the last three months, we are expected to move out by the end of this month. So all of the rentals are short-term rather than long-term, so it's just been such a challenge. So it makes me question if we should even stay here um, on the Bonavista Peninsula. As I said, you know, my partner and I are looking to buy. He is a fisherman, so his job is here. on the island however you know if we have to move because of there's no housing for us we will have to.
2: April shared her thoughts on who has been affected by the rental shortage and who's benefiting from the current situation.
8: There are so many other people um, experiencing this you know we see often online there are uh, families looking for a place to live, you know, they have a few kids, and there's just nowhere to rent. Um, It certainly is having an impact. Like I had said, there's very low inventory. But it seems that um, what is being bought is from people, you know, on the mainland. um, And then they're buying the properties. um, And then they're putting them up for um, short term rentals rather than long-term rentals. They're not even living here for the most part. This is a great area to raise your family for um, my generation who just truly love the environment and the outdoors. um, It would be really nice to see more housing become available or also, you know, for the people who are contributing year-round to the area um, to be able to buy a house or, um, you know, I, I truly feel that like, like myself, I'm unable to purchase a house because someone from another province is coming and outbidding um, on a house that, you know, if it's worth a hundred thousand, they're bidding a hundred and ninety thousand and it's just not feasible for myself or, you know, anyone else who's trying to start out and buy a house and live here year round. I love Newfoundland. I love the Bonavista Peninsula. You know, to think that I would have to uproot and move elsewhere. I honestly don't know where I would want to go. Um but it's certainly a possibility with the housing crisis that we're experiencing.
2: When asked about who should be fixing the problem, April had some interesting thoughts.
8: I think it takes a lot of people to try and fix it. You know, you can't put it on one person. If people don't speak up and um, let others know of their situation or what they're experiencing, nothing's going to change. It really, you know, you can go to the government or whoever, but, you know, I think it takes a community to really make a change. I
1: was actually just thinking, Olivia, like her situation could be your situation in a way. You know, you're two young people who want to live in rural Newfoundland, but I mean, you almost need like a lucky penny. You need to like, you know, you need to like uh, kiss the barn or like rub a horseshoe or something uh, to find uh, a reasonable price for a house.
0: I know on, on Prince Edward Island, if you're buying a home and you're not a permanent residence you've, um, on Prince Edward Island, you face much higher taxes because we saw a big housing crisis and there was a lot of people buying, you know, 17, 18 Airbnbs, building big mansions on the ocean and people couldn't live in their own communities. So they had deep roots in for years and years and years. So.
1: And a lot of uh, municipalities, well, they're not even municipalities or they don't pay any tax because they're not.
0: They're on well water and they don't have garbage pickup. And yeah, you've made this point several times, but short term rentals aren't necessarily the enemy and um, I'm going to try to like watch the tone of my questions from the, for the rest of this because I think yeah it's a little too easy to be like this is the problem and um, and certainly in some places that it is a problem but it's so nuanced
2: if we completely eradicated short-term rentals we would still have a housing crisis We're heading to Port Union now to chat with a business owner who's been feeling the effects of the housing crisis. Hi, boss. Hi. Hi, little pottery cat. He's going to be the star of everything.
5: He always <laughs> yeah, is, this? yeah. My name is Mike Flaherty, and I am the owner and the artist at Wild Cove Pottery. We're located in Port Union, Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, You might know that uh, the area has become quite a tourist destination over the recent years. And uh, I've had my business here since about 2015. And I like to hire uh, an assistant to work with me in the summer. And it's often been a challenge for that person to find somewhere to live. And I've heard similar stories for other businesses in the area to the extent that uh, businesses are changing what they're doing, or they've been forced to change what they're doing. I have, I've offered jobs to people before, and I may have say offered a job to somebody in April and they are looking for a house or for housing April, May, by the time June rolls around, they still haven't found something. And it's it has happened that people have said, I just can't come and work for you because there's nowhere to live. I think that we uh, focus on cost of housing, which is one thing, but also it's just that there are never any apartments or houses listed for rent here. There's just, it's just, there's zero availability.
2: Mike let me know about the effects of losing summer staff due to housing. Both his business and his personal life are negatively affected. And he knows other business owners in the same position, he also reflected on the causes of the situation.
5: It's really, it's confounding in a lot of ways. So I've looked at the census data and there was a census in 2016 and there were um, 1,800 people living in this municipality. Then there was a census in 2021 and there were about 1,500 people living in this municipality. So that means 300 people have left or died and you know, the population is shrinking, you know, it's an older population here, obviously. So it seems like there should be lots of housing and opportunity here, but there just isn't. So one thing that one thing that gets focused on a lot is Airbnbs, um, vacation rentals, and that is definitely a part of the thing. But I find it hard to believe that there are 300 people worth of new Airbnb, Airbnbs that have opened in the last five years. So I think that's a part of it, but it's not the whole story.
2: I had a quick look and there are currently 16 listings on Airbnb for Port Union and Catalina, the small community next door. So Mike's right. Unless there were 18 people living in each home, Airbnb doesn't account for the housing for 300 people that the town has
5: lost. I think that there are a lot of part-time residents, people who are Living in Ontario, coming to Newfoundland uh, to live for a month or two out of the year, those houses are those houses are gone off the market. I think there are a lot of older folks who have passed away, and their families don't know what to do with the properties anymore. They're emotionally attached to them, but they don't want to live in them themselves. A lot of those places have disappeared as viable residences as well. There are a couple houses on this very road that are empty, and like. Folks who lived in them passed away or moved away into care homes or whatever. Some of them don't even have descendants. So the houses are now uh, just there, um, not being cared for and are even falling down, beginning to become uh, uh, in a state of disrepair. And there's just not really a mechanism of like returning those to, to use, I don't think.
2: Mike and I chatted about the opportunity for creating rental housing for long-term tenants. He spoke about options of shared living spaces for seasonal workers, programs matching seniors and students to share housing, and differential taxes, where taxes are higher for unused properties. He also reflected upon how the housing crisis will affect the future of rural communities.
5: I would say, uh, yeah, it's a struggle for people who are coming here, um, who want to come here. I know of people who are living out of their cars this summer. It's really sad because, like, we always talk about the depopulation of rural Newfoundland and how that's a big problem. But people want to come here and work and learn and uh, be parts of the part of the community, even in a temporary sense that often can change into a, a permanent or long term situation. And I think we're missing out on like a way of saving rural Newfoundland. People talk about how rural Newfoundland is dying. But we should be making this connection to uh, make it viable and long-term and growing and amazing.
1: It's just so uh, tragic or something. I mean, and especially in Port Union where, you know, it's this iconic, you know, factory town, Union town. And, of course, it's being renovated. But, you know, you, you see the, I guess, the main street down there that was once a vibrant place with people living there you know, has been, I mean, falling apart for decades. And, uh, and now that we're trying to, there's a situation, like a, a possibility of turning back the tide and uh, it's not working, it's not happening.
0: We talked about the life cycle of buildings and how sometimes we don't plan for the life cycle of a building. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I don't know what the answer would be, some sort of law that allows it to go back to the government and be turned into housing. I'm not really sure what that what that looks like but um it's it's it happens all the time and it's so sad
2: yeah the people that we're going to hear from in the documentary now are people who are trying to find solutions so I found a lot of what they shared with me really really interesting and the things that they are trying to do and the things that they're finding as barriers to what they're attempting I'm going to head back across the island now to meet with a municipal politician whose community faces an additional challenge, the presence of a national park. I've both lived with and worked for this person, so it'll be pretty nice to have a chat with her after a six-hour drive. I'd best get going. Hey, how's it going? Isn't there a good time?
9: My name is Jennifer Galliott. I live in the community of Woody Point, which is an enclave community to Grossmore National Park. I am a business owner, um, a full-time resident, and a council member here in Woody Point. Jennifer explained that the housing shortage in Woody Point affects businesses
2: seeking staff, employees seeking accommodation, folks seeking long-term housing, and people
9: who are looking to set down routes. There's many causes. Um, the fact that we are an enclave community, so we can't expand out. Um, the fact that we have a very transient um, group of residents, so people work away for work and come back. So, you know, obviously you don't want to rent out your house and not have a place to come back to. Um, also, the fact that we are sitting on a lot of Crown land. And, um, then we're in a tourism s- space so where once you could buy a house for you know $20,000 um, you're now seeing that people that are coming from places that they have to spend a million dollars on a house can come down here and spend $200,000 on a house and it's no big deal to them so you have that and then they can come down for two weeks of the year or whatever, right? Or the fact that Um, Airbnb rentals you can make a little side business on it like there's there's multiple reasons that there's isn't um, places to stay and live and or that it's a problem. Jennifer gave examples of times when
2: short-term rental operators have tried to accommodate both long-term tenants and Airbnb. A group of people was renting a home for the summer but when it was booked on Airbnb they had to vacate
9: the property for that period of time on one hand it's really unfair on the other hand it's the only way that those people could get a place to live for the summer Um, and from the renters point of view if that week or months worth of of rentals is paying for your mortgage for the entire year as opposed to uh, month-long renters just paying your mortgage per month basically um, it's it's quite a uh, a predicament. Like, do you do you deal with the trouble of having a turnover, so having Airbnbers or backpackers or whatever coming through, but make the money to pay your mortgage and your bills on that property that you're trying to hold on to and pass down to your kids or your grandkids or whatever, or do you just let it kind of stay with a renter that's going to stay? monthly, but it's just barely paying your expenses or your property taxes or even your heating costs and stuff.
2: The issues are all exacerbated by the town's location within the national park. Building rights cannot be given where there is no room to expand. Woody Point Town Council, like many others, discusses the issue,
9: but doesn't really know what to do about it. Jennifer is very clear, though. Nobody's at fault. It's, you know, everybody's trying to have a place to stay. Everybody's trying to have a place that helps them get a a little bit more secure in life. So, you know, it's seemingly unsolvable with a lot of the issues that um, we're looking at with housing.
2: I'm going to head around the bay to Norris Point now to speak with somebody involved with both tourism and community development. My partner is also involved in this organization. I can actually see Norris Point across the bay there, but it's going to take me about an hour to drive.
10: My name is Colleen Kennedy, and I'm originally from Norris Point. Grew up there, moved away for a bit, and moved back over 30 years ago. So I live in Rocky Arbor. So Grossbourne National Park is not just a national park to me, it's my home. That's who I am. I work for Grossbourne Cooperating Association.
2: Grossmown Co-op started in 1993 as a friends group supporting the National Park. Over the years, the Co-op's role has grown and now includes community development, tourism and creative projects. Their work is recognised on a local, national and international level.
10: A lot of our focus is on community capacity and community sustainability and, you know, housing has become the topic for the last two to three years uh, and labour and they They aren't exclusive of each other. They are so linked. You're not going anywhere in Newfoundland in key tourism destination spots, Fogo, uh, Bonavista, all of us are identifying the same problem. You know, it's endless. If you have no way to grow your community and to bring new life into your community, eventually your community will you know, die. And that's not something that we have in our plans for our seven communities. We want to sustain our communities. We want to sustain the industry that's coming. And the only way to do that is not have cheap housing either, is to have affordable housing that encourages people to come, to live the lifestyle in Grosmoorin that they want to live, to address housing in these communities, perhaps by doing a pilot in one of these communities Colleen continues
2: to explain the pilot that the co-op worked on. Parks Canada agreed to contribute land to the project, and a TV show agreed to come in and do the actual build. Despite this, the funding that
10: the co-op were able to access wouldn't cover the cost. The programming offered by government You know, it's pretty limited and it don't really respond to economic needs. It responds to social needs and social needs only. And right now, I'm pushing federally and I'm sitting on a lot of the federal panels and pushing the need to drop the silos between immigration and housing. If you have a balanced social and economic uh, housing programme, you will have a balanced, sustainable community.
2: Colleen points out that the costs associated with creating housing are disproportionate in communities with lower populations. They just hit differently. Many of these municipalities have a single member of staff, or very small team. She sees that municipalities are already stretched without having to try to function as housing developers. She sees clear links between social and economic needs, but not between the solutions offered to those. She wants a bolder
10: approach. So, you know, take down the silos and have, you know, inter-departments working together with key community groups to try some new innovative ways to do housing. And and actually that means community going out on a limb or an NGO going out on a limb and government going out on a limb and trying some new ways to do stuff, to get traction, to better respond to that uh, housing, affordable housing need and that labor market shortage. We've seen it coming, we talked about it, we talked about demographics, you know, ageing population. we talked and talked and talked about all that for a number of years. I don't think we prepared for that shift. You know, we stayed in that same lane of, here's what we we can offer as a government.
2: Colleen is well-versed in the funding and supports that are currently available both provincially and federally. She sits on national committees and panels and is actively trying to solve the problem. We discussed increased funding and provincial regulations regarding short-term
10: rentals. I still see uh, it limiting for small towns with regards to the cost that they, the, the, what they can access and what they have to spend. The gap is still way too big. I mean, you're, you're talking a 40% investment perhaps by community in order to to take part and build something that, you know, reflects who they are as a region and as a community. So I think they're they're moving in the right direction. Is it enough that uh, it's going to make a big difference in, you know, gross more right now? I am not sure on some policy changes around um, the economic side. Even the
2: people who are working in government might think it's a great idea, but if it doesn't tick the boxes of their funding, then you can't be
0: funded. The mention of Parks Canada donating land to build a house and the mention of the television show, that's a really creative solution that kind of blew my mind. And I was wondering if it was rock-solid builds. I was so curious about what the television program was. (laughs) And is it going to happen? Because it kind of, the way she described it, it made it sound like it It died. It died. Yeah. Um,
2: Even, you know, when Parts Canada was able to contribute land, which is actually a big thing because a lot of the funding parts don't enable you to buy land. So you have to already own land somehow to be able to do this. And obviously the cost of land has also increased. It's not just the cost of, you know, properties, it's also the land itself. So buying an empty lot is not as cheap as it once was. If somebody with the staff and knowledge and know-how and resources of the Grossmont Co-op can't manage to make this work with that many contributors, having a municipality, they might have a council of like four people and one member of staff.
1: I know it just seems like she did everything she could imagine and still didn't work. It's so it must be so frustrating
2: and they're an incredibly innovative organization the grossman co-op their work is recognized internationally people travel internationally to do projects and to learn from them we're going to hear a conversation now that i had with a person who is using funding programs currently available as part of a community-led organization
11: my name is Olivia White. I am from Port Rexton, living in Champneys West, a neighbouring community. I am Port Rexton Brewery's operation manager. I am Otter Housing Association's community project coordinator. And I am soon to be a MBA student at Memorial University. Olivia moved home in 2020
2: and quickly realised that her dream of living and working in Port Rexton was threatened by the lack of long-term housing. She saw that many others were also struggling, and so she went to the council in 2021, where she agreed to lead a task force seeking solutions to the housing
11: shortage. We did a lot of research into what funding was available, um, the kind of the needs around the area, uh, what land we had or the town had. We found that um, there were there was a lot of local interest um, in affordable housing, but also a lot of aspiring residents that were outside the area that wanted to come in 38% of the participants were aspiring residents so it's the locals but also new folks who want to come be a part of the community
2: I had a great chat with Olivia where she explained some of the problems that renters face it's a very familiar story that we've heard many times in this podcast alone Olivia sees the area as a victim of its own success when there's a lot of support in building a tourism economy it's hardly surprising that it's thrived but it's clear that something needs to be done to keep the vibrancy of communities and to allow tourism economy to continue to support them. Olivia cited a 2018 strategic plan put together by the town of Port Rexton, which even gives numbers. It states that in order to maintain a steady population, they would need to recruit 27 individuals aged 25 to 35 years, and in the age groups of 0 to 4 years and 25 to 29 years,
11: they had a shortfall of 197 community members. Um, Yeah, I think there's so much to it. And that's why, you know, a lot of people want to just, you know, stop Airbnb and stop this. And I don't really think that that's going to help us long term. I think that affordable housing can coexist with the private market and it can coexist with tourism and Airbnbs. I mean, I can see it all thriving together. It's just we need to focus right now on. You know affordable housing and community initiative so otter housing is working on um, a new build project here in port rexton so we're hoping to build um 10 units and i don't really want to call it a housing project i think a intentional community would be a better better word to use i'm going to jump in
2: here quickly to explain that an intentional community is a group that have chosen to live together to collaboratively create a lifestyle that fits their values Auto housing are looking at building different types of unit, one bedroom, two bedroom, homes that can accommodate families with children and a
11: larger house with four or five rooms to offer low cost, long term housing. It's difficult. We want people to come in the summer months to work, but our project is very much focused on the community, the sustainability of the community and having people here year round. I want to see Port Rexon thrive in the winter just as much as it does in, in the summer. I think we're in a really good position now to go for the funding to build a project. Um, there's been a lot more provincial funding opportunities that's come up, so we're going to spend our summer writing those applications and trying to speed up that process. We're hoping to build in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, we're full steam ahead to build our intentional community.
1: do have a site picked out Olivia
2: They do they got some land donated uh, by a community member um again that's phenomenal and Olivia is incredible and in speaking to her was really heartening particularly after hearing uh, so many difficult things and having difficult experiences myself speaking with somebody who's is positive and is feeling good about things and feels like they're able to make a difference was really wonderful um it's, I think that Olivia's point that there are actually people missing from communities that should be there for the communities to be viable and sustainable was really important to note Um, and I think that uh, having an organisation like Otter Housing Association is really helpful because that means that you have people available who can write the applications and apply for funding and do all of those things Um, you know even doing a study to work out what the need is is expensive and time-consuming so having somebody who can write an application that would support that uh, is really valuable
0: and there are people who will use that housing is it like the Trinity actors in the summer or is it people who will live there year-round their focus is for long-term tenants Mm -hmm. amazing Wow Cool. I would be so curious to see, like, the blueprints. Like, I'm picturing this sort of amazing, cool-looking building, and I'd be very interested in, um, yeah, what what that building's going to look like.
1: It's, it's almost hard mm-hmm. to even picture an apartment building or a bigger, you know, a, a place around the bay that's not just a single-family home. Like,
4: mm-hmm. it's...
2: yeah, I don't. I think that they are looking at building a series of buildings, not one bigger block. Um, they are looking at one shared house that will have four or five rooms and that's really so that people who are you know maybe in a different life stage and are looking for a lower cost option can just rent a room rather than renting a whole home if they don't have a family or a need for that they can which can be lovely you know having a shared
0: space particularly if you're new to an area can be really helpful oh a third space where maybe there's a little library or they can have like meetings I mean that's the dream, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're sorry?
2: looking at um putting in like a play area for children and those kinds of things.
1: It's cool to end on a positive note. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah we we came in with some really heartbreaking things, and though you know, I don't want to take away from those things. a lot of people are living in really heartbreaking insecurity um a lot of people have had to leave rural areas but there are also people who are working to make this better yeah
1: cool olivia thank you
2: thank you thank you
0: this limited edition podcast lock and key is produced by olivia ball it's edited by luke quinton and i'm your co-host andy bullman
1: Our amazing music is by Jake Nichol. Our art is by Shanley Pomeroy. Luke Quinton is the executive producer. That's me.
0: A big thank you to Tom Baird and Sarah Swain. And Justin Brake is the editor of The Independent. For more in-depth stories about the housing crisis, you can go to theindependent.ca.
1: And a big thank you to everyone who shared their stories with us over this past year.
0: The Lock and Key podcast received funding from the Community Housing Transformation Center, the Center. However, the views expressed are the personal views of the author, and the Center accepts no responsibility for them.